Welcome to the podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. Amen. Well, hey, good morning again. Always so good to be with you. We've been in a series called Discipleship Essentials, and there's been some important stuff in that series. And so if you haven't been with us, we encourage you to listen online. And I had planned on continuing that series today, but this was one of those weeks when I had a plan, uh, but I prayed, uh, and it turned out God had a different plan. And uh, I'm actually just so thankful because it turns out that His plan is actually way better. And so uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to sharing with you today some things that God has put on my heart and, and today is sort of a vision Sunday. I haven't been calling it that, but that's really kind of what this is. Today, after the service, we're having our annual meeting, and this is a time we gather every year just to kind of share, hey, here's how we're doing, here's what God's up to, here's where we're headed. And, and sometimes that can be kind of a, oh, I don't know, kind of a perfunctory thing. But, but today we actually find ourselves at, at a significant moment in the life of our journey as a people, as a congregation. And, and so I look forward to sharing some things with you uh, after this service. But let me frame the conversation like this. Have you ever experienced a, a defining moment in your life? Uh, and whenever we're, we're facing a defining moment in our lives, there's always an invitation from God and a choice that we face in terms of how we respond have you ever had one of those moments? Well, as a church, we, we find ourselves in, in, a, in a defining moment. Uh, and so it's no surprise that God led me this week to preach on a moment in, in the story of God's people where they find themselves in just this really significant moment in their journey. And as I was praying last week, I felt like the Lord led me to uh, preach on the story of Caleb. And I hadn't read it in a while. And so as I reread it, I'm like, wow, this is amazing. This is like the perfect parallel for where we are as a people. And so I'm so excited to look at this story uh, together. Now, some of the things uh, I'll share this morning will have relevance to our lives personally, but kind of my accent this morning will be on really applying this to where we are as, as a people, as, as a community, okay? And if you're new with us, we are so happy you are here, and you'll get kind of a feel for who we are and a sense of where we've been and, and where we believe God is leading us uh, in the season ahead. But with that said, let me, let me set up the story we're, we're looking at today. So we're kind of dropping in here at, at a moment in the story of, of God's people where they are on the edge of their destiny. It is a moment that is pregnant with potential. And uh, as with any defining moment we face, there's both an invitation and a challenge. And what's happening is God is trying to lead the people of Israel, his beloved people, into their destiny into a land, a promised land, and he wants nothing more for them than for them to inherit this promised land, to step in to this promise. But here's what's so sobering about this story, is that God gives the people a choice. <laughs> he gives the people a choice about whether they will actually step in. He gives them a choice, and he lets them choose their land. And every one of us here, whether you, you realize it or not, we are choosing a land, a place where we're going to kind of, God's going to kind of build a home for us, and we get to choose where that is. And the sobering thing about the end of this story 
is that all the Israelites who were freed from slavery in Egypt, all these people who God longed to see enter the promised land of all these people, only two made it in. Joshua and a man named Caleb. Now, now everyone always knew Joshua was going to make it in. I mean, he was like Moses' right-hand man, but Caleb, and by the way, his name means dog. I mean, so I don't know why, why, their, why his parents named him that. His name means dog, but by the way, Notice how none of you knew that, probably, because I see a lot of surprised looks. See, God took a man who started as dog and redefined his destiny. He was a man who stepped in to the call and the promise of God. So the, the question is, like, what made him different than everyone else? And that's what we're going to explore today, because God is calling us as a people to step in to a promised land, if you will. And I'll explain what that means for us in a moment. Now, I just sort of shared the end of the story, but let me rewind and share sort of the, the beginning of, of the story. And we'll be in the book of Numbers, chapters 13 and 14 primarily. I'm going to grab a water here. Good, no feedback. But here's the back story. So if you're familiar with the story of the Bible, you'll re- remember that God called a man named Abram, changed his name to Abraham, Father Abraham. You may remember him. And God promised that through him, he would form a great nation, and that through his seed, the nations would be blessed. And, and, and when we see here that blessing, being blessed is not about getting blessing so we can keep it for ourselves. Actually, blessing has always been about being a blessing to the world. That has always been the destiny of God's people. So God promised Abraham that he would form a great nation, and that through him, what came to be known as the people of Israel, uh, with that promise, God promised him that he would give them a land, a promised land. And so fast forward, the people of Israel, they find themselves in slavery in Egypt. This goes on for 400 years. Uh, they're, they're tremendously oppressed, but God remembers his promise to Abraham. He never forgets, and if you're here today, if you feel like God's maybe forgotten some promises to you, know that he never forgets. He always keeps his promises. So God raises up Moses to to deliver his people, and and through a series of plagues, Pharaoh eventually relents and agrees to let the Israelites go free. So they go out, they embark on a, a journey, and it is an amazing, improbable journey. I mean, I mean, think about this. One moment, they're slaves. The next moment, they're free. And, and, and they've got like gold and treasure in their arms. They re- literally received reparations for 400 years of slavery. So they begin a journey toward the promised land. But as they're making their way, Pharaoh changes his minds. He hardens his heart and he sends chariots after them. And they find themselves in this crucial moment. They are at the edge of the Red Sea and their backs are up against a wall, if you will. And, and the chariots of, of Pharaoh are, are bearing down upon them. And it looks like a hopeless situation. What does God do? He parts the Red Sea, a miracle. And the people of Israel are able to walk through on dry ground. They get to the other side. They praise. They worship God. They rejoice. And, and meanwhile, the, the, the armies of Pharaoh are swallowed up into the sea. It's this amazing moment where this amazing sign that God is with them. And so then they begin a journey through the wilderness. And even there, God shows them again and again that he is with them, that he is for them, that he is mighty to save. This amazing, improbable journey. And in many ways, I feel like our journey as a church is parallel in so many ways. Obviously, not as dramatic, uh, uh, but, but still amazing and improbable uh, nonetheless. So I'll give you just a little bit of our, our story. So like the people of Israel, this church started 
with nothing more than a call. Just nothing more than a call. Uh, I was serving at a church in Costa Mesa, a small young church. It was a church plant, and, and it was, again, in the early stages, um, and uh, our senior pastor, Todd Hunter, who was also our bishop, an amazing man, he, one day he asked Ansley and I, we got coffee, and he said, hey, I, as I've been praying, I feel like the Lord wants me to ask you, would you consider planting a church? And so we said, we're happy to pray about that. And uh, two days later, I got a call from a friend and a mentor, and he said, hey, I want to let you know that I'm retiring as senior pastor, and I want to ask you to pray about becoming the next senior pastor at my church. Now, what you need to know about that church is that that was, was a church uh, that had money. Uh, they actually had people. They had a place to meet. I mean, it was, like, it was like a church. The other option, start from scratch. God bless you. Our, our, our mother church had like, it was so young and so small, they had no money to give us. So this wasn't like, hey, like the typical Orange County church plan is like, hey, a mega church says, hey, you know, we want a church in this, a campus in this city. So, hey, here's 200 people. Here's a ton of money. And th this was not that situation. And so you can imagine which option looked more attractive to Ansley and I. We had a newborn baby. And so we're like, yeah, this seems to make so much more sense. But as we prayed, we said, we're going to pray. God made so clear that he was calling us to do this improbable thing, to plant a church in Orange County with nothing, start with nothing but a call, and that was the call. And so we said yes, and, and we've, we just kept saying uh, yes. And, and um, so we began to share that sense of call with a few friends, and some are in this room, so God bless you. Um, and we started a small group, a simple small group, just in the hopes that that would grow, and in time that would become a, a church. And one of the things I was reminded of as, as I read this story from Numbers, is that as we were planning this church, God actually gave us many words uh, that were prophetic words that were tied to this, this story, this image of, of promised land. Uh, so, for example, when we got this call, the next question was, well, if we're called to plant a church, well, where? And so for us, that discernment kind of started broad and kind of narrowed over time. So first we felt like we heard the Lord say Orange County, and then we felt like we heard North Orange County. And then we felt like we heard Fullerton's. But Fullerton, this is a big place, right? And, and so the question, well, where in Fullerton? And one night in prayer, I really felt like I heard the Lord say, plant downtown, be by the people. The next day, I got a call from a friend who was in our core group. And she said, I was just on retreat. And I was in prayer. And I had a vision. And I saw a map of downtown Fullerton. I felt like I heard the Lord say, this is the promised land. And, I mean, I could go on. This is just a couple of stories, but I could go on. We, we, this, this, this word that God has given us time uh, and time uh, again, this language of promised land, it's been a big part of our journey. And, and for us, our sense of what that means is not simply a location, though it includes that, but also a sense of what we think God wants to do in this location, in the city, in uh, this region. And, and really, the vision God has given us, and you can put that slide up, the vision God has given us is to see our city and the surrounding region transformed with the love of Jesus Christ. Jesus taught us to pray that his kingdom would come and that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we have a vision not just for a church, but for a city and for a region, the cities around us, that, that people would encounter the living God, that people would, would find hope and salvation, that people would experience healing and be set free from addiction, that the lonely would find community, that the homeless would find housing, that relationships would be restored, that marriages would be restored, that, that, that whole neighborhoods would be changed, that people would be equipped to know and love and follow. Jesus Christ. 
in short, that, that, that's what, what we long to see happen. That's really our sense of what the promised land entails in its, in its fullness for us, to see our lives and our cities transformed with the love of Jesus Christ. That's really why we planted this church. And I just have to tell you that just like the Israelites, we've seen God with us and do things that are just amazing and, and improbable. I mean, I could share so many stories. I'll share one quick story. I can't share the full story. But uh, this past September, we had kind of a cash flow crunch. And I told our church council, hey, as I look at projections, we need $10,000 to guarantee we can make it to December, which is always our biggest month for giving by far. And I say, I don't know where the money's going to come from, but I have total confidence in God. He's been with us the entire way. I didn't share that with anyone except my wife. A matter of a few days later, I was at a conference and there was a man there who I hardly knew. I didn't tell him anything about this. God gave him a prophetic word. He wrote our church a check for $10,000. Isn't that amazing? We've seen God with us time and time and time. His fingerprints are just all over this story, this journey that we've been on, just like the Israelites. And, 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 and so, again, I just feel like I can relate so many ways to, to, to the Israelites. Uh, and and uh, God's also given us promises about things he has in store. Uh, but I have to tell you, after our first worship service, so this is about seven and a quarter years ago, if I'm honest, I was so nervous. I'm like, is anyone going to come back? I mean, will they be back next week? And, and so this was kind of going on in my heart and mind. And I, I shared this with Ansley, but I hadn't shared this with anyone else. And uh, that, that week I ran into a friend of mine who was another person uh, who was very prophetic. And, uh, and he said, he stopped me. He said, you know, Michael, I, I believe the Lord is saying don't have small vision or small dreams. Have big vision and big dreams because God has big plans for this city and you're a big part of it. And that, for me, that was just so encouraging. And that gives that sense of promise that feel like God's kept giving us, that he has so much that he wants to do in the city and in this region. And, and, and so where we gather here today, I feel like in so many ways, like the Israelites, that we're kind of on the cusp of, of, of stepping in in a much deeper way to the promise God has for us. And so I just have so much excitement as we gather today, as our leaders have been praying. We just feel like we hear the Lord saying that this is going to be a season of growth, that he has so much in store for us. And, and so the call really is to enter in, to really step into the next phase of that promise that God has for us. And so let's take a look at this text, and we're picking up in Numbers chapter 13, verses 21 through 25. And the Israelites, they've been journeying through the wilderness now, and, and, and God is now, he's trying to lead them into the promised land. And so Moses sends a group of 12 scouts or, or spies into the promised land to scout it out, um, uh, one from each tribe of Israel. And these are, these are leaders. These would have been high-level leaders in the people of Israel. Uh, and it says, so they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin, as far as Rehob, Toward Labo Hamath, they went up through the Negev and came to Hebron, where Ahaman, Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. Hebron had been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. When they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. So God had promised the Israelites a land flowing with milk and honey. And so uh, this is an image of abundance, of provision. Uh, and they go into scout, and then they confirm that that is exactly what it, what it is. And so they bring back some fruit to show Moses and to show the people of Israel that just as God said, there's, there's provision, there's abundance. This is a land flowing uh, with milk and, and honey. And by the way, th this cluster of grapes, 
must have been gigantic. Because imagine, they had to, to carry it, they had to put it on a pole carried by two men. That is, this, these are gigantic grapes. This is just an image of just superlative abundance that God is inviting them into. And they have this revelation like, oh my goodness, like this, this truly is the promised land. This is like the Napa Valley of the ancient Near East. It is better than we hoped. It is amazing. And, and so you would expect, based on their history with God, that, that when this opportunity emerged for them to finally enter the promised land, that they would be raring to go, that they would be filled with faith and courage and expectation. But they weren't. And, and when the spies get back, they actually give a report. And this is what it says, Numbers chapter 13, 27 through 28. They gave Moses this account. We went up into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Enoch there. Skip down to verse 30. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the man who had gone up with him said, we, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Enoch came from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. We looked the same to them. So these leaders come back, they see, they see everything that God has for them, and their response is to doubt and create despair amongst the people of God. It says they spread a bad report about the future God had for them. Now here, here's something about fear and despair, and it's that it can be contagious. So think of 1990s music. I don't know about you, I was, if you're alive in the 1990s, I got really depressed in the 1990s. Just saying. It was just contagious. <laughs> Some of you got that. Now, faith and joy can be contagious too, but unfortunately, on this day in the story of God's people, fear and despair had the upper hand, but Caleb was not among them. So God, he gets really upset, and he's like, are, are you kidding? I gave you my promise. I gave you my presence. I showed you my power. Uh, I, I, I judged the gods of Egypt. I led you out. I led you through a sea on dry land. I, I've provided for you and there's a few tall people, and you're wilting in despair? How, how can you doubt me? How can you doubt the kind of God I am? You know what I've done for you. So how are you turning away from me? So, so God's heart is just so grieved at the lack of faith amongst his people. And so then Moses begins to intercede for God's people, and, and God begins to respond. We read this in Numbers chapter 14, verse 20 and following. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. He's speaking to Moses. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory in the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. Now, contempt is an interesting word. It's closely related to anger, but, but more an extreme. It's like an extreme version of anger. It's like you, you, if you have contempt towards someone, you, like, you utterly despise them. It combines anger with, with condescension and a sense of superiority, and I'm just, and it's almost a sense of denigration involved in it. Uh, and, and so here you have the children of Israel saying, you know, how could you bring us here, God? What, what sort of God are you that you would bring us into a land with large people? 
And God's like, are you kidding? How can you treat me with contempt? But then we read this, Numbers 14, verses 24 through 25. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. Since the Amalekites and the Canaanites are living in the valleys, turn back tomorrow and set out toward the desert along the route to the Red Sea. Now this is a staggering moment in the story of God's people. I mean, here, 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 here they are. God's heart for them is for all of them, that all of them would enter into the promised land. That is God's heart, yet it is only Caleb and Joshua who are prepared to walk in. It says Caleb had a different spirit, that, that he had a different spirit than everybody else. And so for me, that makes me wonder, what was it about Caleb that set him apart from everybody else? And how do I get that? How do I cultivate that kind of heart? And how do we as a people cultivate that kind of spirit in us? And, and, and so that, that's really what we're, what we're talking about today. And, and in a time when so many in our culture are wavering in their faith, when so many are, if you will, spreading a bad report about God or about his church, and, and, and so many people, and you probably know many people in your life who are, have either walked away from the church or walked away from Jesus, uh, what would it look like in this context to have a different spirit? And what would it look like to lead a generation back into their inheritance in Jesus Christ? That, that's what we're really exploring today. And, and there's so much in this story, but just in the time that we have, I, I want to share, just highlight two things that we see in Caleb that really set him apart from everyone else. And that really enabled him to be the kind of person who could enter the promised land. So here's the first thing. Caleb had a different spirit. He had a different, excuse me, we already said that. <laughs> he had a different perspective than the people of Israel. And I know that seems simple, but actually this is quite profound. So Caleb says, Numbers chapter 13, verse 30, he says, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. And he's like, let's go, let's roll. We can do this. God is with us now. What's amazing is that they all went out and spied the land, and they all saw the exact same things. And they actually agreed on the content of what they saw. So it wasn't as though Caleb was saying, hey, there's milk and honey, there's abundant fruit and provision. Uh, and they're saying, uh, no, 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 there's none of that. It's barren. No, they're not disagreeing on the content. And it's not as though they're saying, hey, there are these people like, who are almost like giants, like these really large people. And Caleb's saying, no, 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 uh, there's no fortifications. No, they agreed actually, even on, on the content of what they saw, their difference was on how they interpreted it. So you might wonder, how is it that one group, they saw the same thing and that led them to fear, that led to despair, that led to doubting God. Another person, Caleb, he saw the exact same thing and that led him to faith, to courage, to confidence, even a sense of excitement. You almost see like this twinkle in his eyes, like, let's do this. I mean, he's almost got a little bit of crazy in him. He's just like, let's do this, you know? And so, so what was the difference? I, what, I think where the difference lies is in their focus, is in their focus. So so how do we see that? Well, the 10 spies, their focus 
is on their problem. Their focus is on the size of the challenge in front of them and, and on their weakness, their limitations. And so what happens is that consumes them, that leads to fear and despair and kind of just this catastrophizing uh, word psychologists would use. It's worst case scenario. And if I had time, I could unpack how their thinking is actually distorted here. Like actually the descendants uh, of, of the Nephilim, they perished in the flood. So how could these be actually the descendants of the Nephilim? Hello. Anyways, that's a whole nother. I don't have time to get into this. So they're just, they're, this, this is what 12 steps call stinking thinking. They're in the grips of stinking thinking right here. Okay, Caleb on the other hand, he focused not on his problem. He focused not on the size of his problem. He focused on the size of his God. And that led to confidence. That led to just this courage. That led to faith that propelled him into the promised land. You see, compared, so yeah, Caleb probably would have granted. Yeah, com yeah compared uh, to, to the, the people in the sun, yeah, we're, we're kind of like grasshoppers. But see, he had a broader perspective. He took a step back and said, yeah, that may be true, but compared to the size of our God, they are grasshoppers. The question is, what is your focus on? Is your focus on your problems? Is your focus on the challenges in front of you as an individual, or even us, the question for us today, is it on the challenge in front of us, or is it on the size of our God? That is the question that God is asking us today, and what you focus on will, will change everything in your life. What you focus your heart and your mind on will change everything on your life. That's why the scripture says, set your mind on things above where Christ is. That's why it says we're seated in heavenly places. We don't go into battle from a place of fear and where we go with the victory has already been won by Jesus Christ. That, that is the call, the perspective that we are to have and that Caleb had that set him apart. And uh, yeah, I'm going to abridge. Here we go. I'm going to add it on the fly here. So, um, yeah, so that, that's the invitation for us. As we look at the challenges in our lives personally in the annual meeting, as we talk about some challenges we face, I'm going to share about some amazing fruit we're seeing, ways we're seeing God at work, but also uh, challenges we face. And the invitation in that is to look, not the size of our challenge, but the size of our God, because that makes all the difference in the world. So that's the first thing. Caleb had a different perspective, but the second thing he had, he had a different heart. And let's look at Numbers chapter 14, verse 24. It says, because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly. Now, I, I can't believe I know this, but bear with me. But on The Bachelor, there, there's a saying. <laughs> For the record, I'm not watching it right now, so I, I, stop judging me. I've, I have no idea what's going on. But I just know enough pop culture to know that there's a saying on The Bachelor. And maybe some of you could fill in the blank, but you probably don't want to do so verbally. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. Now, now that's, uh, that's good advice if you've got a good heart. But what if you've got a sick heart? What if you've got a maladjusted heart? To follow your heart in that situation is actually to lead yourself into a whole lot of trouble. A whole lot of trouble. But you see, Caleb, he had a rightly ordered heart, which is a different sort of heart. And, and this phrase, wholeheartedly, shows up again and again and again with respect to Caleb. Eight times in the Old Testament, six, as I recall, six of them uh, apply to Caleb. He was a man who just this wholehearted devotion to God. And what that speaks of a sense of in integrity, not in the sense of he did moral things, other people did immoral things, but in the sense that his life was integrous. It was just all in integrally connected around and centered around God. God was at the center of his life, and he went fully after God. He, he followed his heart in that sense. So God says, therefore, I'll bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. 
And, and you see, one of the, the greatest strategies that the enemy has is not to destroy your life through some catastrophic failure or sin, but it's actually, he just, he would love just to get little bits of sin or compromise or resistance in your heart so that you just become ineffective for him. He would be so happy if he can just do that. So happy. Uh, I wish I had time to talk about the screw tape letters, but he just, he, he just wants to get little things in, in your life to rob you, for example, of, of confidence so you don't pray bold prayers. So maybe you don't even pray at all. He, he just wants to get little things in your life so that you would never share the gospel with somebody because you're like, well, how can I do that? Like, I'm, I'm a hypocrite. He would love for you to be so filled with fear that you can't trust God with your money. And so you just withhold and you live a life that is less than he's calling you to. And, and I believe many of us have the faith to be saved from our sin, but, but I worry that probably so many of us don't have enough faith to give Jesus our whole hearts, our whole lives, and to live a life of surrender. But you see, when, when our hearts are compromised, that actually prevents us from stepping into the land, into the promise that God has for us. And so we get stuck in this horrible middle place where it's not like we're just, you know, dead in our trespasses and sins, but it's like, on the other hand, we're just like in this wilderness of compromise. And, and, and Caleb, he had a different heart. He gave God his whole heart. The people of Israel, they had a divided heart. And part of them wanted to go into the promised land, but they had so much fear that they wanted to go back. And we're running out of time, so I can't unpack this, but what ends up happening is after they hear the report of the 10 spies, they get so worked up in fear and unbelief that they actually end up saying, we should go back to Egypt because, hey, they had good soup there. I kid you not. That's literally what it says. Hey, they, they had some like onion soup. They would rather settle for the soup of their slavery than the responsibility that comes with freedom in God. And for me, this again, this is one of the most sobering moments in the whole story of Scripture. They had a choice. God's like, you get to choose a land. I'm building a house for you. Where will it be? They chose the wilderness. They chose a life of settling. And so that, that's actually how they spent their days. But not Caleb. Not Joshua. They had the, a different heart, a heart that was not filled with compromise, that was, they just gave their heart to God. Doesn't mean they were perfect, doesn't mean they didn't make mistakes, but they said, God, I want you, I want your purposes in my life, and I will say yes, and I will keep saying yes to you. All my days. And that's how they live, and therefore they were able to enter the promised land. But again, there's this the shocking reality that God will actually allow us to settle if we want to. But I just want to say this that Jesus never died so that we would settle. He died so that we would actually become part of his revolution, the greatest revolution the world has ever known. And, 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 and that's why we planted this church. This isn't about a building or a, an institution or a, a preference or just coming to get our own personal needs, but actually we're part of what Dallas Willard called the divine conspiracy, which is what God is doing in the world to overturn evil with good. It's actually to see our lives and our cities transformed with the love of Jesus Christ. That, that is why we plan this church, and that is God's call for us to keep stepping in and to step in actually at this time even more deeply. So much uh, more I, 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 I'd love to share. I wish we had more time, but just to sum up what we've seen is that there are really two things that, that set Caleb apart, that made him different than the rest of his contemporaries 
first, that he had a different perspective. He wasn't focused on the size of his problems. He was focused on the size of his God. And that changed everything for, for him. He had hope. He had confidence. He had trust. And, and, and the second thing we saw is that he had a different heart. His heart was not divided. His loyalties were not divided. He'd given his heart fully to God. And therefore, God says, you're ready to step into the land I have for you, the land of promise. If we had more time, we could talk about his perseverance. There's so much we see in his life. But just to apply this to where we are today, uh, I believe that God has a bright future in store for us as a people. God has so much more in store. Just as I pray, I just keep hearing him say that. Uh, I'm also reminded of words that have been spoken over me over the years. Uh, For example, uh, before we planted this church, Ansley and I, we visited the the Pasadena International House of Prayer, and we we spent a little time with a woman who started, who's just an amazing person, has an amazing ministry, and she didn't know who we were, and we didn't tell her we were church planters, and and she says, um, she's praying for us, she says, I see you as a general leading an army, and you will do great exploits. <laughs> you see, that is our destiny. And I know that for me, in my house, that, that's where we're headed. We are going into that promised land. And my hope, my prayer is that you'll come with us. We want everyone to be part of what God has in store for us. So that's the invitation today. But in order to step into that, we have to choose our land. And, and, and this land that God is, is leading us into, this land of promise, can only be taken by greater faith by greater trust in God, by greater sacrifice, by greater depth and maturity in him. That really is the invitation. Caleb said, I made a declaration based on my convictions. And so I said, let's take the land. See, there's a legend that is waiting to be written, that God is waiting to write through your life. And if humanity is worth dying for, how in the world is it not worth your life and mine? If Jesus would die for us, how could we not choose to live for him? That's the invitation today, to choose our land. So I just want to close in prayer and I want to do maybe something just a little bit different. And uh, I just want to um, invite the Holy Spirit just to fill us afresh today. Um, it says Caleb had a different spirit. And so really what we need more than anything else is God's Holy Spirit to come and, and empower us for, for the mission, for the life he's, he's called us to. And this isn't about a pep talk or uh, just try harder. This isn't what we're talking about. What we need really is to be empowered by the living God. And, and so if you want to say yes to this invitation that, that, that God is giving us today, I just want to just lead us in just a brief time of response through prayer. So maybe you just want to close your eyes and just kind of turn your heart to God. You might want to extend your hands just in a sign of surrender. Um, if you're hungry today, if you're weary, if you're thirsty, if you just want more of God, if you want to be empowered for this, this journey, Let's just turn our hearts to God in prayer. So, so Father, we come to you day, today and, and we recognize that you are a good father who gives good gifts to your kids. And so, Father, we are asking today that you would send your Holy Spirit just in a fresh way. Lord, we just receive you afresh into our lives. We yield to you. God, we pray for the grace just to open our hearts to you. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you search us? Would you show us any ways our hearts, God, are divided? Any way sin has crept in? Any way there's compromise? Lord, would you forgive us? And would you give us the grace to give those things to you now? Just take a moment just in, in, in God's presence. Just allow him to search your heart.
Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, we invite you into those places. And Lord, we pray that you break the power of any sin, any compromise, any habit that undermines our trust in you, God. Would you just break the power of that in Jesus' name? Lord, for those of us who feel tired, those of us who feel weary, we invite you into that, God. Those who are discouraged, we invite you into that, God. Would you cleanse us? Give us fresh faith, fresh hope, fresh confidence in you. Lord, in any way we feel disqualified because of our shame or our sin or our past, we just invite you into that to bring change and freedom. And Lord, a new identity. But Lord, we pray just for a fresh grace this morning to believe you, to step forward into the plans you have for us, to walk by faith, not sight, faith in you. So, so Lord, here we are. We say that we're your people and we just want to say yes to you. Would you lead us to the land you have for us? God, we choose you today. In Jesus' name, amen.